Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Low Season, a podcast about tour guides, tourism, and the future of travel. I'm Walter Bernhardt, a tour guide from Berlin, and currently I'm gauging how my fellow tour guides are navigating the pandemic. As the uncertainty of the pandemic continues, many of us are still patiently awaiting for the tourists to come back. But just as we thought we had the worst behind us, the virus returns and spreads through our communities. So there will be a curfew across metropolitan Melbourne from 8pm this evening and it will run from 8pm to 5am each and every day. And the only reason to be out of your home between the hours of 8pm and 5am is to get care, to give care uh, or to go to and from work or be at work. This here is the premier of the state of Victoria in Australia, just yesterday, declaring a curfew on the greater metropolitan area of Melbourne, the city where my two guests today are from. It's already been a fair while that I spoke to John O'Sullivan and Hugo Mylekarain, just as they were climbing out of their first wave of the virus. To say that the isolation has um, impacted the city would be understating it. Um, it's just a ghostly feeling going out right now. And as the crisis continues, so does our search for new ideas and ways to shape tourism and the future of travel. As the low season enters its fifth month of recording, we're focusing ever more on ideas that can change the nature of our industry. And I think today we're having two very interesting guests running a fairly unusual business in the tour guiding world. When I came to Australia, I, I wanted to do a few things. I wanted to create a guide-centric company. We'll be talking to John O'Sullivan and his company and the fact that he decided to employ his guides rather than to hire freelancers. If you've been with us for the past couple of months, I've been investigating the nature of our working relationships and was quite surprised that there's no company offering their guides employment. Even the great Rick Steves couldn't see it any other way. I don't know. Uh, it seems to me guiding is freelancing. We're going to be speaking about the advantages and disadvantages of running a company of tour guiding employees. And straight off the bat, you want to hear one of the advantages of being an employee rather than a freelancer? And the government said for anyone who is employed full-time or part-time uh, as of the 1st of March, we'll pay you money to pay them. And that money is just a flat fee of $1,500 per fortnight. 1,500 euros every two weeks for having signed a contract with an employer. I say that's not bad. Obviously, there's more to it, and we're going to dive right into that. Um, later on, we'll also be hearing from Hugo Mylekarain, a tour guide since eight years. Hugo has been mostly working in the free tour sector before deciding to hop on over to John's company and sign a contract. There's kind of this expectation that, or this understanding that these free tour guides and the freelancers in this model are really only so successful because of that, that you know, motivation of money. So the company is called Depot Adventures. It's trying to keep itself alive at the moment doing online tours and creating online gatherings. But first I asked John, being on a very big island, very far away from the rest of the world, where do your guests normally come from? We have a pretty interesting business. So I started out, I used to work for Sandman's and then I also worked with Strawberry Tours. And so I came very much from that mold of mostly international guests. Um, but uh, I have found that we have about a 40, 40%, I should, eh, 
Yeah, let's say about 40% international, 40% interstate, so just from other parts of Australia. Um, and for the purposes of my statistics, I include New Zealand as part of Australia, even though it's not because it's just similar travel styles. Um, and then the remaining 20% is local. So we do have a fair few people just trying to discover their own backyard. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. I, I didn't expect that at all. And, and what, what, what do people come to Melbourne for? Oh, um, well, th we have amazing an amazing art scene. Uh, we have uh, comedy and theater and street art, uh, some of the best in the world over here, um, incredible food. We also have uh, we're called the education state. And so we have lots of universities, so lots of international students coming down here. Um, but the main thing that people come see us at Walks 101 for uh, is our hidden bar tour. We have a tour called Uncover Hidden Laneway Bars because we are one of the top cocktail cities in the world. And these bars that you go to are places that some of them have a capacity of just 16 people or 30 people or 40 people. And so they're very small, hard to find places. And those, that's the sort of tour that appeals to both international and local people alike. Now, what, I, what I'm very interested in talking to you about is, is not, you're not just a tour guide, you also have your own business, meaning that you chose for a particular kind of a structure. You've worked in the past, I don't know, 10 years for many different uh, many different companies, but also in many different countries. Could you talk a little bit about how you chose for your particular kind of model and what, what sets it apart from other business models out there? Sure. Um, so I, I got into tourism about 10 years ago. I worked for uh, Busabout to begin with. That was doing multi-day European tours on a bus with a microphone. Um, and then from there, I went to work with a bunch of different companies, the vast majority of which I was working as a freelancer for. So I was uh, an independent contractor working with Sandman's New Europe tours and with uh, Strawberry tours and Expat Explore and all of these other ones. Um, when I came to Australia, I, I wanted to do a few things. I wanted to create a guide-centric company. I think that um, just the nature of freelancing means that a, a company, um, a, a tour operator doesn't have as close of a relationship with their guides because they are saying that they're only going to use that resource when it is needed. And so I found some frustration with that over time. I didn't feel like I had been, I just didn't, I didn't feel as valued as, and important to the companies as I thought I was being. And so I, that's why I started my own business to do it myself. And in time, I realized that that was structural. The reason that the company, I didn't feel valued by the companies is that, um, it's, it's right there in the way that these tour operators are um, structuring their guides. So the fact that they're offering them as freelancers means that there is no risk on them or obligation to keep supporting guides in the hard times. And that's when I decided to change uh, the entire business model that I operate on and go fully employed. And so now, even with our free walking tours, um, we take all the revenue, all the, the tips that people make on the free tours, we keep that as a company, and then we pay our guides a competitive living wage for it and so that the guide doesn't take on, any, take on any risk. If they have two people show up for the tour, they still give an amazing tour and know that they're not going to have trouble paying their rent because not enough people showed up. Why, why do you think it's, it's such makes such a difference that you employ people? I think it makes a difference. Well, I know it, in my experience, it makes a great difference just because I've seen 
the kind of the company culture that I created when they were employed versus when my te- the team was freelancing. Um, I think that uh, the freelance environment creates a, a kind of competitive landscape where everyone needs to fight to try to get their tours, their shifts, their preferred dates. Um, and it just doesn't create a, a working environment that I found um, to be very pleasant. Employing people means that they don't have to worry about bad weather ruining their abilities to um, make a living. And so I think people just are much happier to come to work in that sort of environment. I, I, I have many more questions for you, John, uh, because I think what you're doing is something uh, really quite unique in the sort of tour guiding landscape. I don't think there's very many companies that actually employ their uh, their, their tour guides. What, what does that mean? like? precisely like do do people get a certain set of tours every month do they get a, a paycheck that is the same every month or like how, how, how does this work so there's two kinds of classes of, of employees that i have one is a part-time or full-time employee where they sign a contract and i say i'm going to pay you for this many hours of every week and it doesn't matter if i have the tours or i don't have the tours i am going to pay them that same amount of money um and so i make sure that i only offer that kind of contract when i'm really confident as a tour operator that i'm going to have that work for them and so um of the tours that we run we have you know probably about uh, a 50 50 split of the number of people who are using on that kind of contract versus a casual contract and a casual contract um i pay a little bit more for and this is something that's spelled out by the australian government they actually say here's what you need to do if you're not going to promise people hours but it works really well so you get 25 percent higher wages if you don't get guaranteed shifts and that's what i do for the tours that are a little bit more uncertain. So tours that are just starting out, uh, finding their feet, if I have a new product on there. When I'm starting to run multiple departures of the same tour, um, that second departure might be a bit more variable. So I make up for the fact that the work isn't reliable by paying people more money. Now, the people who are doing that kind of work, they're the people who are usually students or actors or have other jobs. Um, Meanwhile, the people on the contract work, they can plan their lives around working for Walks 101, which means that I get a more stable workforce and people who are not gonna go anywhere anytime soon. Do the guides get the opportunity to work for other companies as well? No, um, and that's 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 one that's a trade-off there, is that if I, because they're employees, I'm going to invest time in training, putting them through a training process, doing staff development, and I wanna make sure that that is represented just for Walks 101. So now we've heard a bit from John, and I'd like to hear from somebody that works for John. I spoke to Hugo Mylakarain, the operational manager and tour guide who has been with the company for about a year now. Hugo is from Melbourne. Look, yeah, I'm a Melbourne boy, no doubt about it. Hugo got the idea of being a guide, and especially a guide working with the free tour model on his travels through Europe. And I was just so impressed with their ability to kind of hold a group and entertain and educate. And at the same time, you know, there's this whole model where I wasn't required as a backpacker to fork out lots of money and I could just rock up on the day. And I just felt like, well, this is something that I could totally, you know, see myself doing. So let's talk about his experience as a guide working on a per tips basis and how he eventually pivoted into John's company. It appealed at that time 
probably to where I was in life and my age. I was a bit younger, so I think I was at about 21 at this point. So having kind of cash in hand at the end of the day and kind of having the ability, uh, probably probably a, a responsibility that I didn't uh, take on board fully at the time to kind of just, here's this cash and I can I can do what I want with it. And I know some people out there can be a little bit more flexible with what they claim to the government, to the tax agencies about how much they've collected. Um, so, and and for you know the owners of of the companies, it's I mean, hey, the risk that they have is just so much less because they know they're going to get three dollars per person from from this tour and that tour, and they can just kind of slowly build their company without taking on board in Australia at least the the cost of taking on an employee is is quite significant. Um, so it, it appealed to to both parties, I guess. Uh, when I first started, but as I've grown older, and you know, you have more responsibilities, you have more um, kind of considerations about your future and and building some financial security there. That having a an employee relationship and having the benefits associated with that became much more appealing. So that's it's kind of worked out well for me that I could move to a model. Um, I'm now at Depot, where our founder John made it a pretty ambitious uh, decision a few years ago to to employ all of his guides um, and to kind of leave this free tour model aside. So I, I feel quite grateful that, um, yeah, I've, I've basically ended up here. Yeah, t- talk a little bit about that. Um, so 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 John start the, starts this company. Uh, you're one of the people that ended up working for John. Um, how, how has this been? Uh, Talk a little bit about what it means to have a sort of certain income every month. Yeah, well, almost all of my income comes from my wage. So with that comes, in Australia, it's four weeks holiday. Um, There's a significant pay into um, what we call superannuation, um, which is uh, money that is available to you once you retire. And so, and sick days as well, which is benefits that obviously don't occur if you're a, a freelance guide. Um, what about healthcare? Uh, healthcare is something that's provided separately from your employer in Australia. Okay, okay fair enough. So the government kind of <laughs> takes care of me uh, there. Um, and I, there are a few tips that, that come in, but certainly not, uh, not a significant amount of money. All of the tips that we collect as a as a guide on on our free tours goes directly to yeah to the company. Yeah, and that's that's the deal, right? I mean, you give up maybe the possibility of making a huge amount of money every once in a while. The the the, the, the dream of every free tour guide that you make that that killing, right? That is the idea, but you, you give that up for for the security. How how is how is getting a monthly income uh, sort of changed your way of working and maybe yeah has an impact on you some of the positives about having this low risk pay what you feel model um, also came with a lot of negatives and I'm sure people who have been free tour guides know this that there's this kind of game often that guides play and you're trying to get as much as you can from the company and whether it be by you know 
if you can ever appear that your numbers were lower than what they are, so you have to pay less to the company, um, you're, you're working in opposition to the company often. You've both got different goals. And the more kind of John thought about that, he says, well, that's it's not the kind of company that I want to build. It's not the culture, certainly, that I want this company to be. Um, so last year, he kind of said to his guides, he gave them an option. He said, look, this is where we are. This is where I want to be. And you can come along with me. With bringing you onto an employee, then suddenly I'm a lot more accountable. So I need to know that there's a certain amount of um, income that you're going to bring into the company and then pay me uh, so I can afford to pay you and build a, a profitable, successful business. And most of the guides actually weren't in a place where that model was appealing to them. Some were like me where, you know, the, the cash in hand model was something that they wanted to pursue. Some were, you know, only in Australia for a few months and they couldn't commit to kind of staying around a, a lot longer. But the guides we do have now, John has said that the level of commitment and the culture that is here is just something that he wasn't able to recreate in that free tour model. So Hugo is quite happy with his arrangement. He's getting a monthly paycheck. John promises to pay him regardless of whether the tours are actually running or not. And on top of that, he gets all the benefits of a regular employee, such as payments into a pension plan, sick days, and of course, four weeks of paid vacation. However, John did decide to adhere to the free tour model. The major difference being that the tips a guide makes go directly to the company. And what about the the free tour model? So we, we spoke about the guides uh, just now. Um, the, let's talk a little bit about the guests also as well. You've chosen the, this model. I, I don't know exactly why. You can explain it maybe to me because um, it means that uh, the guests showing up, they don't need to maybe uh, pay in advance. They pay at the end of the tour to, to see whatever they think is worth it. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So I have uh, three different kinds, well, two kinds of tours that I run. I have paid tours and free tours. Um, and so the, the paid tours are just what you're expecting. You give money for the tour um, and you, you take it. But the free tour requires no reservation in advance and no money paid up front. Uh, the guests come on the tour and if they don't like the tour, they are not, well, they don't, they're not obliged to give any money no matter what. If they enjoy the tour, they're welcome to pay what they think it is worth at the conclusion of the tour. Um, and our guides work really hard to make sure people genuinely feel free to walk away and give nothing. Because what we find works best is if people genuinely feel that this is something that they can choose to assign a value to, they're going to assign it a higher value because they're going to enjoy the tour more without a feeling of pressure. And so what we find is by putting the power in our guests' hands, we actually uh, have better reviews and better income uh, from it. What, is, what I find very interesting about your combination um, is because uh, from the free, offering free tours to guests and at the same time paying your guides a fixed fee per, per tour, even if there's few people around um, or, or how much these, these customers are willing to pay, one of the big arguments that uh, free tour companies like, for example, Sandemans put out there is if you offer guests a free tour, um, 
the idea behind it is that the guide will work harder. You get a better guide with a free tour because the guide has to work for his money or her money. Um, you seem to sort of have taken that out of the equation. D don't you see value in that argument? Yeah, no, I, I really believed that argument uh, for the entire time that I was doing the, that traditional model of having that direct relationship of the guides, um, the guide making more money when they had more uh, better tour. What I found, though, and both in me and in every other free tour guide that I talked to is that if you averaged out the total income that you would make on a free tour, uh, it would approach pretty much the same average per person revenue over uh, over time. So let's forget about outliers. There's always outliers on free tours. You always have that one big group of people who walk off the tour and lower your average. Uh, you'll have other days where you have the really wealthy clients and they give you a lot of money. But if you take a month of tours and you divide the total amount of money that you have by the total number of people that were on your tours and you compare your per person earnings over the, a calendar year, you're not going to see a huge amount of difference. I think that there's a huge difference between guides and I've been able to see it because I can, I've been reporting on what my team is making. So uh, a really, really good guide will make significantly more than a really average guide. Um, but that really, really good guide is not going to have as much variance there. And so this idea that like, if you're sleeping through one tour, you're going to make worse money than a tour where you're really focused. It just isn't true in my experience. But it's not all fun and games, of course, being an employee. John set up a sort of goal matching system. So each guide needs to hit a certain target every month, a set amount of money that you need to bring in with your tour guiding. Uh, how, how, do, how do you feel about that? Does that yeah, feel like any, any sort of negative pressure on you? Look, I, I'm, I guess fortunate enough that I've never been at risk of falling below the minimum, but I've had to, like, as an operational kind of manager, I have been the one who's been monitoring the income and the results of our guides. And we have had guides who just haven't met the targets that were required for us to be successful. And it's a, it's a tough conversation they have because we have employed guides, not just because we think they're going to be the the best highest income guide it's guides that we think will do really well in the culture here and that we think we we can work well with so when they're not performing to the standards that that we need it's a tough conversation to have and it was basically look here are the, the we, we go out and we would have a look at their tours and often there's a few small things that they were doing that we could give recommendations on but there were a couple of guides who we gave an opportunity to improve. We gave them as much help and support as we could to get there. But we made a decision that, look, it doesn't seem like you're able to get to, get to the point where, you know, we're going to be a successful business with you because at the end of the day, we've got to pay your wage. And if you're bringing in less than the wage we're paying you, that's not a sustainable model for us. So in the end, why does John believe that his model the employed guide model is the way forward into a post-pandemic future. I think ultimately it's the right thing to do. And that's that's why I've done it. Uh, I think that it, to ask a guide to come out and risk their earnings in a situation where they can't control how many people are going to show up, I, I think it's unethical. 
Um, the, the freelance guide doesn't control the marketing of the company and doesn't control whether the rain is going to come or not. And so that was just something I struggled with when I thought about uh, the kind of business that I wanted to operate. I, I started this business trying to create a guide-centric company and when I questioned my own values, it just didn't, didn't feel right. But separate from that, separate from feeling like it was the right thing to do, it also economically, financially makes more sense um, because the guides, the guides are going to have bad luck on individual tours. They're going to have the rainy days. They're going to have the low tipping groups. Um, but I know from my experience of giving free tours since all the way back in, well, it's been five years now, um, I know that the tours will approach a, a stability. And if I treat people with respect and I sell, tell them I'm going to look after them, they'll work hard. And that's what I found is that we have regular team meetings, we check in with each other, and we also are very transparent where we say, here's each guide, here's their name on the board, and here's how much they earned this week per person. And so we create an environment where we're supporting one another, but also making sure that we are uh, meeting our goals. And so if someone isn't making enough money per person to keep the company in business to basically support their own salary um then we we aren't able to continue employing them and so there have been a couple people that we've had to say hey it hasn't worked out um and we wish them the best uh we need to make sure that you're making enough for the company to survive but um economically it's it's kind of made sense both for us as a company, but also for guides who can start knowing, hey, I'm going to make this amount of money. Um, and if I have a bad tour, it's not going to ruin my month. What have you been uh, telling your guides or, or have been talking with your guides um, in, in terms of um, the, the, the future about? Uh, is there any sign of relief uh, coming up? Are you exploring the idea of small groups with uh, like masks and stuff like that. What do you think about the near future? Um, I think that it is going to be a very difficult five years. And I think that we should all in the industry be thinking about the next five years. Um, and it's really depressing to, to say, but um, we are going to see a long road to when the actual coronavirus is gone. But even once that is gone, once vaccines are out and um, it's not a, a, a health concern anymore, we're going to have people who are in extreme financial stress and not looking to go on holidays for a long time. We're going to have countries that uh, are not being as proactive around the coronavirus um, who are still deeply affected while other countries still have travel. I think that um, to think that this is going to be back to the 20. In Australia, we have to say 2018 numbers because we already had the bushfires uh, in 2019, which deeply affected our high season. Um, and so to get back to 2018 levels, I'm not really expecting to be there until 2023 at the earliest. And so what that means is thinking about a leaner business uh, that is maybe not as aggressively going for growth. And that's what we were doing before is we were trying, we were expanding to Sydney and planning to be in other capital cities around Australia. But I think that I need to be a bit more realistic about um, the future and plan to have a, a smaller, leaner business that I can um, still have a business at all. John O'Sullivan and Hugo Myla Karain from Melbourne, Australia. I hope you're doing well on the other side of the world. 
I find it a fascinating concept, this whole employed guy thing, especially because it's such an alien concept in the tourism world. It's often seasonal and you're working for different partners. And so for a lot of us, this freelance model just makes sense. It's a shame John's experiment has been put on hold because of Corona. And of course, even signing a contract is not a pandemic proof way of making a living, as I'm sure lots of people all over the world are currently experiencing. As far as the tips-based model that John's running, I'm not sure I personally would thrive in his company either. I'm not really familiar with the free tour business model and I'm not sure I'd make the goals that were set out for me. But I do like the idea of working in a team again, the sense of togetherness and a shared sense of purpose. It's something I haven't felt for a while and I think I'd be craving it even if I were to return to full-time tour guiding again. If you want to learn more about Depot Adventures, you should take a look at the show notes. I've linked to their website. They're running virtual tours. So even if you're not in Melbourne, but for example, fancy an early drink, you can go on one of their digital speakeasies. That's it for now. On Wednesday, we're back with Bart Verhoeven from Antwerpen. If you look at how we have come to, um, I think, consider value of work in this modern society, it, the discussion often becomes very harshly economic. The Low Season is produced by me, Wouter Bernhardt. Music is by Mark Schilders. Artwork is by C.C. White. Georgia Ryungu is providing for style, class and a hint of mischief. Speak soon, my friends. And it does require a shift from both employers and from the guides themselves. And it's not going to suit everybody. Like I said, there's, there's some people who that freelance model works for them. But like I think we've seen the problems recently with the gig economy and what can occur when employees are taken advantage of perhaps or there aren't those safeguards for them. So there's, there's all these benefits that come from having guides, having employees who know they're going to be looked after, who are not, whose performance is not purely for them. It's for, you know, the good of team morale and they can be kind of building something with their fellow employees. And I think if you're an employer of guides, you might want to have a think about the kind of culture that you want to create because this is certainly an opportunity to to change that culture radically if it's not working for you. So, yeah, I think it's a wait and see how well Depot, Depot goes. And I'm very confident that in a couple of years, we'll have a few more eyes on our business looking at what we've created and, and how we went about it.